0: Listening to Militantly mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from a mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. The busiest mixed race, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, mask making, golf coast, cosmos, comic book, co-owning, Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 137. Sorry, 137. And I can't really record an intro because I keep having coughing fits. I have a terrible sore throat. Um, it's just getting worse every time I try. So I'm just letting you know that the audio that you're going to hear today is the audio from the live stream that we did on May 16th through the Blasian March and hosted on the YouTube platform of Military Mixed for Black Asian Solidarity and the legacy of Yoriko Chiyama and Malcolm X. It was in honor of their shared birthday, which was May 19th. But we actually produced the live stream on May 16th. Uh, it is um, moderated, hosted... By Rohan Jolie of the Blazier March, with guest speaker Asian Sof from Mixed Present and myself. And um, there's a lot of magic in the room when the three of us get together to talk about Black Asian solidarity or anything in general, but we have a shared mission when it comes to Black Asian solidarity. Again, I can't really talk, it kind of hurts, so I just want to say. If you would like to watch the video, you can check out the YouTube channel for Militantly Mixed. It is still there, but for those of you who access the show through the podcast exclusively, I didn't want you to miss out on the audio for it. Also, the proceeds from the Mixed and Hella Asian t-shirt that is available on MilitantlyMixed.com right now. Every purchase from the month of May and June, uh, the funds for those shirts will go towards the Blasian March um, in Uh, Routed towards them in support of all the work that they do both in organizing the Blasian march itself or Blasian marches themselves, but also For the work they do with black and brown trans youth um, The okra project which feeds uh, black and brown trans people in the new york area um, And and other various organizations if you would like to support the Blasian march directly you can go to instagram and follow them on uh, uh, at Blasian march or Rohan Jolie um, at Diary of a Firebird on Instagram and connect with them directly in terms of how you would like to donate funds. But if you would also like to purchase a and Hella Asian t-shirt, 100% of the profits of those shirts will go for the month of May and June will go towards the Blation March. Um, profits from the shirts that were sold between March and April went towards Advancing Justice in Atlanta and um every 2 months i will collect the the profits for those shirts and at the end of the 2 months i will send it to another organization that supports uh asian americans and people of asian descent in the united states so if you would like to pick up one of those shirts please go to noatilmix.com click on the merch tab and you'll find the shirts there i have so much that i want to say on this intro but i really i've tried multiple times to record this and it's a disaster every time and it's just getting worse as my voice becomes more labored. So without further ado, <laughs> please join me in welcoming back our cousins, Rohan Jolie and Asian Sof to the militantly mixed family. Well, I guess they're cousins. They're already cousins. Um, but welcome them back to the show with the audio from our live stream from May 16th, Black Asian Solidarity and the Legacy of Yori Kochiyama and Navinotsi.
1: Everybody,
2: stop it! You laugh. It was the inhale for me.
0: It was. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, we are live. This is great. Um, <laughs> hello, everyone. Thanks, and welcome to our special panel event celebrating the uh, joint birthdays of Yori Kochiyama and Malcolm X. Um, this is an amazing collaboration uh, with No Telling Mixed and Ablation Marge. So, yay!
0: Yay!
1: And I. You know what? Let's just say it's the also collaboration with mixed present. Why not?
0: Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think no, at this point that we're like a little trinity of We are. <laughs> Asian Black Asian solidarity. we we're, we're gonna be the if it's Holy gonna be Trinity. Black Asian and solidarity, it's gonna be the three of us. So
1: the mixed Asian Trinity. I
2: love it. There we are. I'm, taking,
0: I'm, I'm putting that on a T-shirt. We're, we're yes. T-shirts made.
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe like a, a drawing one. I have this shirt from the Asian American Girl Club. It's got oh, Beauty nice. and Malcolm on it, and it's like, yes. Yeah. The proceeds from this when they were selling it went to Black Lives Matter. Okay, um, love it. Yeah, I got a lot. Year, so shout out to the Asian American Girl Club. (laughs) Yes, come on, Asian Girl Power! Yes, (laughs) all of that.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess, um, to start, uh, my name is Rohan. I am the founder of the Blazing March. My pronouns are they, Xia, and Ta. Um, I'm coming to you from the occupied territory of the Lenape people, aka New York City. Um, I'm wearing a gray hoodie. My skin is this luscious, lovely, <laughs> black, gold, brown complexion. You don't know. Uh, I'm wearing a dark blue shirt. And behind me is a rainbow pride, rainbow pride flag, um, but it has the black and brown stripes uh, to acknowledge the queer black and brown folks and trans black and brown folks. So yeah, I y'all wanna it. introduce yourselves next? <laughs>
0: All right. Yep. I am Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine, host of the Militantly Mixed Podcast. And both Asian Soph and I are are sitting on the lands that were formerly the Chumash and the Tongva people, since we're out here in the L.A. area. Um, I'm wearing a dark gray, militantly mixed logo shirt. Um, And I've got white headphones and my my hair growth since the last time y'all saw me, I got a little bit of growth now. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna put a head wrap because it's still awkward, but we all right with the headphones. It looks great. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, And while I am not as lusciously colored at the moment, I, I got tan forehead and mask paleness underneath. Uh, the struggle is real for us, so lighter <laughs> Asians right now.
1: Sir, you were you were born last year. <laughs> Thank you. You also <laughs> forgot to tell the world your pronouns.
0: Oh, my pronouns are she, they, and my honorifics are sir and mix. <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir. I do. Sure. I I prefer a masculine uh, honorific for show we love it <laughs> you know um i'm asian so
2: uh i am um, she already said on whose land we are at uh, my pronouns are she her and hers and i have this like brown hair going on i am light uh lighter colored east asian um and i have a great t-shirt that has you Chiama and malcolm x on it hey,
1: on, hey. Uh, we're all here okay so i guess to kick things off i would just love to send Tres and ground us. since we're talking about these two amazing oh i burped wow sorry i <laughs> this is a very casual conversation i'm very glad it's casual oh my goodness
0: i mean again we're the three of us we're, we're... <laughs> we're gonna be fine
1: I know I'm trying to be all formal like welcome I was like I just burped like whatever (laughs) (laughs) well I guess then first things since we are talking about these two amazing legends um I just want to know for both of you um what 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 do they mean to you who were Malcolm X and Yuriko to the both of you uh sir maine you can start <laughs>
0: um well i have to be honest with yori kochiyama I, that's a recent learn for me i don't know how she mi- i miss her in all of my studies and things like that for, that's for white so supremacy long. at work it's quite i mean at work. yes absolutely and and it, but i will um but in the time that i have been uh researching and look looking at like watching videos of this woman and being just so surprised like it's it's Unwriting everything that that um, being taught about the presentation of Japanese women in America and things like that. So I. Um... I would say that she means a lot to me now, but it's a recent, it's a recent mm-hmm. learn and it's a little bit, uh, a bit of shame for me, but I, I got the book heartbeat of a struggle right here. I'm, I'm getting through it. I'm trying. It's hard. It's not on audiobook, And I usually read audio now because of how busy I am, uh, but I'm going to get there. Uh, but Malcolm, <laughs> Malcolm X is somebody that I'm, I'm far more um, connected to and grounded to in my, in my early days of racial militancy, as I was, you know, 13 14 you know I got posters of Angela Davis on my wall and things like that I you know I went through in the early 90s there was sort of this resurgence of bringing back the teachings of Malcolm X you know this pre-internet and people trying to to figure out who he was at at, at my age group at the time and um, and so I had read his autobiography at that at that time I I had been like sort of closetly militant because my dad wasn't really super comfortable with the with that kind of blackness that I was um adopting I get not adopting I was just in it I would there was the neighborhood I was in it was the people I was around and everything like that so and of course uh, the Spike Lee movie came out around the time that I was at that critical point of which way am I going to go in my blackness and the stuff that apart from the religion, because I'm not religious, um, a lot of the stuff that he was talking about spoke directly to the exact neighborhood I was in, the the change that had not happened even after all these years um, between his death and and my teenage years. Um, I felt as angry and fiery as I felt he was. And so um, there, I will say there's been more meaning to me for Malcolm X throughout my entire life, whereas now the two of them together um, are starting to like, change and name some of the stuff that I, that I thought before.
2: I would say for me, um, oh, also thank you for sharing that. Um, Uh, I think that it's really cool to kind of see how, you know, there's always more people that you seem to learn about. And I find that, you know, I I know it's not just you. It's a ton of people are so late with finding out about Asian activists in the first place because it doesn't serve white supremacy to know that we have also, you know, been in this fight. And it's not just been black folks, you know, it's been... Lots of minority groups, actually. And if there's unity and there's that inspiration, like it directly works against white supremacy. But um, for me, both of these people were symbols that it's never too late to learn, to shift your beliefs, to activate and to be impactful. Because, um, you know, we talk about Yuri Kochiyama and how you know, truly impactful she was and like how big she was in the movement, but she was very apolitical for most of her life. She didn't meet Malcolm X until October 16th, 1963. She was 42 years old. Malcolm was what? 38. Um, cause I believe he's four years younger than her. Um, and you know and she and her son Billy had been arrested with 600 other core protesters in New York because they were protesting for um, Puerto Ricans and blacks to have more uh, construction working jobs and so Malcolm X showed up and at the court case at the, at the courthouse and that was when she got to meet him for the first time and you know obviously he was naturally very like who are you and why do you want to shake my hand and she was like you know she, had, she describes the interaction as so awkward, but she was very apolitical for a while, even when her families were when her family and she were interned at the concentration camps um, for being Japanese, you know, and with the same thing with Malcolm, I mean, we saw, he, luckily we can kind of see like his life marked in stages where he had different names, you know, Malcolm Little, Detroit Red. um, I feel like I'm going to say his uh, nation of Islam name incorrectly, but El Haj Malik El Shabazz and then Malcolm X. So we see these different, um, we see his life marked in different ways. And I think with Yuri, you, Yuri uh, we saw a kind of a similar thing um, too as well. So I think it's cool to know that you can always change your stances. You can always educate. You can always, you know, still be impactful no matter what, you know, everyone can always start anew as long as you're learning, you know? That's what they mean to me.
1: I love that. Um Like, it's like definitely... Charmaine for me as well, like, Kochiyama is also, for myself, um, a relatively recent discovery. Like, I definitely, well, for me, like, I grew up in the South, so we were taught a very specific uh, misinterpretation of Malcolm X. (laughs) Like, for us, like, we were taught that, like, he and the Black Panther Party and all the other... Uh, storylines that could not be whitewashed for like terrorist threats to the country when, you know, in actuality, it's just like, no, us fighting to survive and and thrive and be valued as human beings is a threat to white supremacy. So, mm. uh, side note, I'm trying to eradicate the word, the phrase white supremacy from my head because I just feel like I should not associate anything white with anything supreme, but, it's a process.
0: I, I feel that. I feel that. Right. <laughs> You're so
2: mm. conscious about language. And I like, I'm like here for it because I, you know, you really don't think about like, Oh yeah. Like how colonized languages, especially. So, um, mm. I applaud that about you actually a lot. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and That being
1: said, it's still a long-term process and like, right. Right. And even just like the fact that, like, again, you you mentioned it earlier, Soph, and and Charmaine about like, we didn't even know about Yuriko Chiyama and like all of the other, you know, amazing Asian American freedom fighters. And that deals so much with like the intentional erasure of our stories, which keeps us as Asian Americans, you know, narrative wise, kind of lost and to the point at which it's just like, what? Anyhow. You, you start to
0: wonder, like, especially now I'm, I'm the oldest of all three of us. Right. I'm 43. Um, I start to look back and I and I, I try to figure out, like, what were the points at which I could have had access to this information? And maybe did. Maybe I've seen her in things. Maybe I heard her in things and just disregarded it. Um, I know the the picture of her like holding the. Um, the little speaker that's attached to one of those big speaking things. Like, radio thing she, speaker thing? Yeah, the radio speaker. She has the head wrap on. I've seen that picture a bunch of times and never knowing who it was. And now that I associate with that picture with her, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So it's not that she hasn't been in my view in any way, shape, or form. It's just that connecting a, a, an actual, not only just an Asian-American activist, but spe- specifically a Japanese-American activist, given that I – am also of Japanese ancestry I um I, I like I'm half angry that I didn't have access to it but also it's like as typical as it could possibly be because we also come from a culture I mean Asian self and I are both Japanese um we come from the kind of Asians that assimilate and don't talk about shit when you get here so of course my people weren't gonna inform me about her if they even knew about her um and my whole access point to racial and social justice is entirely through my Black upbringing, my Black hood upbringing. And so the people that I assigned to and the people that I followed, like literally, while people had posters of people they were attracted to on their walls as teenagers, I had Angela Davis. Like she was mine, you know, like she was mine. And even I remember in my 30s learning about Kathleen Cleaver and she, like, as a Black Panther, she was as light as they come. And she was, you know, practically blonde, you know. And then I'm like, how did I never know about her until I was in my 30s? And then I start to read back and I'm like, oh, actually, I did know about her. I just didn't know who I knew about because I was reading books, not looking at pictures. I'm pre-internet, you know, I'm a full-ass adult by the time I get the internet. So my access point to a lot of the things I know about any kind of racial and social justice activism is entirely in Black and white. It's it's in reading books and... um, so, like, I, I I sit here and I want to get into it. And I'm just like, you know what? I I was almost ashamed coming into this knowing that I was going to have to admit how late in life I came to the knowledge of Yuri Kushyama Like, really had to, like, prime myself to be like, okay, just tell the truth. You didn't know. And now, like, I know a little bit, you know.
2: <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people don't know about, you know, like... Like I said, like white supremacy is doing its job right now, you know, and that that's what it is. And um, I feel like you're always coming into these, by the way, um, with like, I
0: feel so guilty because I didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm constantly like readapting things and I'm but I'm vocal about it through the whole process, which is probably <laughs> worse. Like I should just come out and be like, I am finally educated in this space. But no, I'm always like going through it live on recording in some That's it, real it, though.
1: <laughs> That's real. And like it's a great um showcase about how literally all of us are radically learning and unlearning. <laughs> I think
0: also when you talk about the transitional periods that you're in or the learning periods that you're in, what's important about doing that, if you're a person that like, you know, the three of us are in the public eye in mixed spaces right now. So if people who follow us are listening and they see us struggle or they see us in the learning process, it makes it more accessible for them because there's a lot of people that just don't try because they think it's too late or because they think like, who am I of all people to try this thing? Well the yeah. three of us are all all those people right at one point we had to decide to start being public about the things that we are passionate about about the things that we're important about or that are important to us and so to to do it publicly as much as it sucks <laughs> as much as it can suck I feel all there's of a, our eyes right now you know, like we're just like oh uh-huh. like there's some moments I'm like. like to old of <laughs> mixed, and I'm like, whoa, I was not there yet, you know, um, but to get there and be, you know, do it now. I think our audiences will learn, you know, I mean, I didn't even realize that until, until you said it, uh, Soph, about Yuri only coming to uh, that kind of political activism in her 40s. Uh, she's I'm a year younger than she was when she was really getting at it. So fuck, do it. like. I mean, I don't want to say that she, like, she was
2: really starting to shift. Like, when she met Malcolm, she started to shift, but she had always been really politically active, and um, it was very gradual. I mean, but she was always involved in the community, and mm-hmm. she had racist things happen to her. Like, there was one time she was putting up posters for this, like, alumni organization, like, dinner dance thing at a local, like, hamburger hut in San Pedro, where she's from. And... The police, this was like, you know, fresh during World War II. The police are were like, why are you putting these posters up? Oh, we're going to be confiscating these. You need to come to the station with us. She could be signaling mm-hmm. Japanese. And she said there was so many people. She was well-respected in the community. She was very involved. She taught, like, Sunday school. Sunday school, yeah. Um, yeah, and she, was, she did so much community organizing. She was popular and her whole family was kind of like this and kind of just knew everybody. And she said, no one said anything. No one stood up for her. She said Mm -hmm. lots of my students were there, like families, like nobody said anything. And, you know, she said at the time she didn't really think about it, but reflecting on it, she was like, nobody, they just let me go. And then she get, thankfully like the, the, uh, when she got to the station, um, I forget what position it was, but like the main officer or whatever was like, oh, I know her and you just totally wasted her time. Like, why did you bring her here? And thankfully, but still, I mean- At least
0: something like that, given what happened to to her.
2: (laughs) She was like, they're like alumni organization. It's a dinner dance. Like, I don't, (laughs) you know, it was just so ridiculous, but-
0: The signaling thing is really interesting because I, I feel like more so in what I've been learning more so is is the what happens to her father right is is like you know he he donates money to japanese military just be you know and probably as a casual thought of like you know yeah i'm japanese and why not i'll give a little bit of money to some people that are hurting and that comes back to haunt him in a way that going to end his life you know whatever whatever we want to whatever they want to say he came back from surgery and then they put him in incarceration and because they weren't giving him the medical care he needed he died probably a lot quicker than he would have had that not happened to him so I'm really affected by that kind of stuff of like just random little yeah. conversations his father would have had or her father would have had ends up being the things that um convict him in their eyes leading into their incarceration
2: Yeah, and it's worth noting, they arrested fishermen, they arrested Mm -hmm. Shinto and Buddhist priests, they arrested Mm -hmm. language teachers, they arrested anybody who could have had any ties with Japan. Within the first 24 hours, they arrested over 700 men. Within the first 48, after the bombing in Pearl Harbor, they arrested over 1,300 and like there was never any like clear reason or indication given as to why um but yeah she um h- her father had just come home from a- the hospital and the FBI agents came to their house told him to put on his robe and slippers and took him away and, not and
0: even the dignity didn't even of tell them where they were going you know not even the dignity of that just straight up i'm going to put you in a robe and you're coming with us And you're obviously hurting from from um, surgery. Uh, And I think you can equate to a lot of what was happening at that time, very similar to what was what had happened with the the communist hunt that they they do. Right. It's all because your name is on a piece of paper somewhere related or unrelated, but it's it's telling the powers that be that you're at risk someone randomly goes into a communist meeting because they're just curious they're like well i don't know anything about communism i'm gonna come in for whatever dumb reason they sign their name on something and then 10 years later they get you know what i'm saying like 10 years later they get picked up and now they're part of the the mccarthy hearings um for yeah. that for
2: yeah and i was going to say um the also during this time right President Roosevelt has access to military reports that say the Japanese Americans pose no threat domestically. And this was still done. So.
1: Well, well everyone is tuning in. You, you just had, you just had a, a history lesson. So, oh. <laughs> wow. Um, and it's just so interesting that y'all, you 2 bring this up, and I just can't help but think about the number of just parallels um, with systemic neglect that all of our communities of color are experiencing right now. Um, you know, with the pandemic, and um, uh, it's just—it's—it's it's frustrating to know that there is this consistent neglect or consistent abuse of communities of color and um yeah um so i guess i want to just bring us back and um to the next question at hand i'm just so curious since both of you are doing like so much uh, for the community um charmaine you're doing a lot of like amplifying work and storytelling with the podcast so if you're doing so much uh last i checked mutual aid and stuff i'm just curious like in your personal lives or like in your work, how much have these two like really inspired your work and your daily living?
0: Um, for me with with uh, and I'll go back to, to Malcolm um I, I have this I thought I, I... Wrote this down because I wanted to share it with the two of you um, and thinking about, like, my early activist point of me of me going more towards a radicalized view of racial justice um, when I was 13 or 14 years old. I remember reading um, the autobiography of Malcolm X and at one point going, knowing that his mother was possibly mo- mostly white, given that she was from Grenada and her mother was um Raped by a white man and things like that. Um, and how light Malcolm was. I, I would sit there and I remember having this memory of going, I wonder if he would hate me because I'm lighter than him. Like that I'm trying that I'm trying to own my blackness looking the way that I look and not have like this is a 14 year old brain of trying to figure out, like, would I be able to be involved with the kind of activism that Malcolm was involved towards the end of his life. Cause of course, once he separates from the nation of Islam and starts his own, um, the, is it, um, mosque, uh, Muslim mosque incorporated, uh, when he starts that and he starts changing his phrasing, right? Like we talked about change just a little bit ago. He taught, he, he talks about, you know, There was one point when I was closed off to any people from the outside, but then he does his his pilgrimage to um, Mecca and he comes back and he's like, now I realize that people of all colors can be involved in this. And he starts to change his his his, um, what he thinks is the way to do this work. And that's the Malcolm that I can I attach to. Right. It's for me, it's less about the the religious aspects of it, but but the understanding that, like, we're not going to get anything done if we don't get things done across all of the communities, we, we need to all be buy in on this to make this work. And I and I would sit there and I go that, you know, that's the Malcolm that makes sense to me. That's the, the Malcolm that I that, you know, makes me wear the X t shirt and all that other kind of stuff I was doing when I was that age. But I was always afraid. And it's a weird kind of fear. I was 14 year old afraid that Malcolm wouldn't like me. Because I was like too mixed. I can
2: relate to that, though. I can totally relate to that.
0: <laughs> it is such a weird thing to even think about, like, why even is that important? But I have this very vivid memory of being 14 and being worried that I wouldn't be the right kind of uh, radical or the right kind of militant for, for him um, if I was in his time. You know, my, mind you, he's, he's dead long, uh, about 15 years or so before I'm born. But uh, he was that imp- he was that impactful In just my reading of what he's done, what he said, his own words or listening to speeches or whatever, that I had concerns in 1992. I'm sitting here worried I wouldn't be enough for him. (laughs) So when I talk about like being influenced by somebody, that's what I'm talking about. Like I'm talking about having like real visceral reactions to wanting to do work that I that I hoped he would value when he was long dead. And it's weird, (laughs) weird that I felt that way. I totally don't think that is weird because
2: I, you definitely hope that the people that you, that, that you're inspired by um, that you I mean, I don't know. Like, I would like to think that Yudi would have liked me. You know what I mean? I would have liked to think that she would have invited me to some of her Saturday meetings.
0: Um, Right. Or let you (laughs) sleep on her couch and give you her key like she did. I mean, she let everybody (laughs) stay at her house all the time.
2: (laughs) But, you know, like learning about her and how she just became so influential within the community, like a lot of people knew her by reputation. And what was significant to me in learning about her Um, and how she came to be close with Malcolm X and a lot of his associates and stuff and how they respected her. She didn't go into places and try to out know or out educate or out black folks. Like she was there to just like listen and learn and be there. And she even went to, I believe it was called the liberation school in Harlem, um, which was, you know, mostly black folks. And she just really tried to broaden her horizons. And um, a quote that she has that I love, um, it has to do with Malcolm, but she said one of the greatest lessons Malcolm taught people was to learn their own history, know your history, know the world, be proud of who you are he would say, if you don't know who you are and where you came from, how can you know what direction to go in the future? And I think it's what I really love about the fact that, you know, she was apolitical and then she slowly transitioned, even after so much clearly racist things had happened to her. Um, and she even, uh, told him, you know, I disagree with you on your, on his standpoint around integration, she actually transitioned by the time he was assassinated, she had gone from believing in integration and nonviolence to believing in self-determination and self-defense, you know, the similar messaging that he had as well. Um, and she continued to, um, you know, carry on with, uh, the networking. And that's like how I choose. That's, that's along the lines of how I want to, you know, continue my sort of activism is, you know, that networking and introducing. And that's what she very much did. She would often link people together. She would let people host meetings at her apartment. She would invite people to come speak. I mean, um, there were these um, women, I believe, that had been um, in they were you know they were from hiroshima i believe and they had physical scars from the bombs and stuff and um they came and all they wanted to do was meet malcolm x actually and so he came to her apartment and like introduced themselves and like spoke with them and you know spoke with everybody there there was All different kinds of, you know, there was black activists, there was white activists, there was all different people at her apartment. And just to hear him speak and to get a chance to meet him. And she said he carried himself with this just like charisma. And I mean, just to even have those kind of experiences, I think are really cool. Um, But I also think what was exciting is she was also really humble, but she also knew her limits in a lot of ways, which is admirable. Um, Cause she was asked to be like in organizations and she would be like, well, you can use my apartment or I'll attend some meetings and stuff, but she would never like, she was, I mean, according to, I believe Max Stanford was his name. He was one of the founders of um, Ram, uh, which would become the Ram uh, Black Panthers in Harlem. Like she, he said that she was, like instrumental in the formation of the Harlem chapter, actually, because he met her on a bus going to DC in a demonstration, <laughs> and she like knew who he who he was, but she, she had never met him before, and he was like I knew her from reputation, and they linked, and she network, she get introduced him to a lot of people, and he used her for a lot of like contacts and things like that. But I mean, just like that kind of thing is like so inspiring to me, like how connected and how well respected she- well respected she was, and that she didn't go into spaces and. Like, you know, I find a lot of people want to go in and just I want to prove to you how much I know and how down I am. And like that just wasn't her M.O. And I think that that's dope. And you can still be impactful, would not be the loudest voice in the room all the time.
0: Yeah. And I think you uh, you and I have had conversations like that, too. And and to now remembering what the question was when we got started um, the way that I think I try to approach uh, the show and, and some of the things I do, you know, me describing myself as an amplifier versus an activist is, is um, I know what I know. Um, But I know that if I have something in, in more of an, an, um, an actual activism foot on the ground um, thing. I need to talk to somebody. I might need to talk to you. I might or either of you. I might need to go to one of you and be like, hey, blah, 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 blah. I'm not that person. Um, but the but I use my platform to amplify other voices. And in doing that, I think I am I'm 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 inspired by by that idea of like being a vessel. I think that's what you do with, with, with how we talk about with Yuri, right? She's a vessel for this information to get out to the people that it needs to get out to. She was literally willing to put up her own home. If it meant that people were going to get this knowledge, if they, you know, if people were going to give access to this if people are going to have a place where they could do the work that they needed to do. And I want to, I want to believe that there's something like that in my space that I create too, for the people that I get involved in. Um, I want to be able to use that space to be a vessel for the things that I'm not the expert in or that I don't know enough about, but I care enough about for it to get out. Um, so I think that that would be a way that that she could be an inspiration to the way that I do my work or, um, but also just like the time period that these people are active. You would almost say there's no business for them to be doing what they're doing, given the climate that they were existing in, and they did it anyway. And I want to know that I have courage like that, you know, like I want to know that I stand up in a time that I got no business doing it. And that's what I think is the most influential thing about both of these people or anybody that put themselves up like that, is that in in terms of white supremacy or the white lens, they got no business, but they were like, oh, it is all my business.
1: I absolutely love that, um, and I, I also just love that this is the space where you get to talk about this sort of thing because it really just—it just like it really affirms, like what what Sofa you were talking about, um, Charmaine you're talking about—the fact that both of them over time changed, evolved, reassessed, um, and that's such a beautiful part of our experience. The fact that we can still like. Keep doing this work, but also evolve as human beings as we do it. I mean, the fact that, like, I mean, for me, uh, Charmaine, a few months ago, I met you because you came reach out to me to do this podcast. I was like, okay, this sounds so much fun, and like now here we are. I don't know how many (laughs) months later, and things just we're go tos.
0: We're go tos for each other.
1: Which is, yeah, like, and I find that really affirming in the sense that, like, you know, Malcolm X, his values changed, evolved over time. Coach Yama's values changed, evolved over time. And I just think that's just so great that we can, like, evolve and still have conversation and still move together. And, like, Coach Yama's doing networking and we lost Soph and... (laughs) Uh, but that, and that That to me has just been such, such a beautiful part of, of The work, just watching us all just like Really flower As we do this stuff um,
2: I'm well. sorry I exited out of the broadcast then. I was so moved <laughs> sorry.
1: <laughs> she was so moved She moved out, it was great
0: I saw your finger going, I was like what's about to happen And then you just <laughs> <laughs> Thanos oh, snap What happened Oh my gosh <laughs> Uh,
2: yeah, but, you know, I think that that's the thing is I, th- I think a lot of people get really um, <sighs> find activism and speaking out and getting involved with politics or things like that. Very daunting, because I think people don't realize that all of us go through a journey and what we know, like I didn't come out of the womb this way. You know what I mean? I have done a lot. <laughs> exactly. I came out of the womb like this. Let's go. Just came out of the fist up my leg. I <laughs> work to do.
1: Go.
0: Let's, go. do it. Let's do it. <laughs>
2: but you know you know like uh like you you learn through time and like you get activated in various ways and i i mean for i'm i was lucky to be able to have this conversation with you um charmaine but like i got activated a lot through hip-hop and coming to that um and, you know, a lot of times you don't know why or how, if you don't understand yourself, it's hard to kind of put the, like, why am I feeling this? Light? Like, why am I drawn to this? And you kind of just keep going until you have the words or if you're, you know, like me and you go to therapy and you, you know, learn to identify things within yourself. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think a lot of people just think that, oh, okay. Like I have to know all these things before I should speak out. And it's like, you'll never going to know everything you know what I mean? And you, you just get started with it and just to know that like even people who are as iconic as these two figures that we're talking about, they didn't—they came to it in a very specific way and they came to it when they needed to, you know, and, you know, had Malcolm not been so, you know, had been, had he not been brutally assassinated, he could have maybe changed his views again. Like, I mean, he had, a he was, I mean... Staunchly, I guess people would have perceived that he was staunchly against white folks, you know, um, and, you know, maybe not as dramatically as it was made out to be, like, like he didn't hate white people, but I think he just didn't, want anything from them or expect anything from them in the, in, in the time. But then, you know, when he did does his pilgrimage and he's traveling internationally and he's um, trying to uh, he has these meetings with these African leaders um, to start doing sort of a look into how uh, African-Americans are treated in the United States um, and trying to garner, you know, respect for his memorandum and stuff like he he really started to take on that internationalist sort of approach and believed that, um, you know, the solution could be an international one. And, 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 uh, when he met white Muslims on his pilgrimage to Mecca, right. That's where he really started to be like, Oh, okay. So like, almost like a, let me, let me decolonize my thoughts sort of thing. I feel like, and, um, that's when he really started to change his approach. And I think that that's really cool that you could still do that. Like, and it's not, and you can explain yourself and all of that. Um, but yeah, I don't know where to, where to go.
0: Yeah. It's happening to me too, where I just get, I get just like, Oh, someone jump in. Tech, I, love take your- I love
1: it. I love it. So, um, I guess from all of that, you know, we've been talking a lot about our own personal experiences, what we go through on the ground, off the ground, um, and just wondering, you know, how, how do we keep this legacy going? How do we keep this, this conversation of, um, Evolutions, solidarity, the evolution of solidarity. What can solidarity look like over time? How do we keep that going in our collective work, you know?
0: So I, I like to use the term press record as the thing that I explain of like me deciding to jump up and finally doing the podcast that I did. Right. You know, I wanted to talk about mixed issues. I wanted to find my place because of how much I had changed. I used to be black and then I moved out of my neighborhood and I became mixed because people didn't see me as black. And so that re, um, you know, reconfigured how I maneuvered and things like that. And then I moved to a different area and I adjust more dep- of who I am or how I behave Depending on where where I'm at, and by the time I I decided to finally press record, that idea of pressing record was was making the step towards fill in the blank. Right, it was do this is an active thing, and you can't keep thinking about it. You got to eventually do something. If you, because if you I felt so dissatisfied, and the reason why I felt so dissatisfied is because I was talking and thinking about this stuff, but I wasn't acting on. stuff that i wanted to do i think when it comes so i use press record as as the way that i'm kind of explaining that in terms of uh solidarity movements uh, one of the things that that always hit me hard with malcolm was there was a period of time in which um you know he would shun white help and he would say it's you know we can't do any, you know, you can't do anything for us until we can do something for ourselves. And I understand that that is a journey that you got to go through, is at first you do feel like you have to kind of do it internally because if we're together, maybe we won't have all the problems that we have. Um, But once you do stretch out that hand and you allow someone from a different community to come in and, and act as support, what you're doing there is not only just supporting each other, you're also unlearning the things that are keeping us separate, right And I'm not saying that I want us to be everybody mixed in the future or you know anything like that but but taking down the borders, these imaginary lines that we've dr- drawn, um, you don't unlearn that stuff if you stay in your echo chamber. So we have to have solidarity moments because we need to be, or movements, because we need to be able to unlearn what are the things that that we've been taught to be against or be biased towards or whatever. So I need to always, and you know what, I'll be honest, I'm uncomfortable around a predominantly white audience too. I'm uncomfortable in general around white people, even white people that I know well and like, because I'm waiting for a time in which white supremacy in their minds kicks in a little bit harder than their like of me. But I can't let that be the thing that governs my actions. I need to absolutely let the conversations go because they need to see me behave as much as I need to see them behave so that we can unlearn the thing. So the, in terms of the future evolution of solidarity, it's really never stop trying to have solidarity. That is so real, by the way, what you
2: just said about, you know, I'm waiting for their white supremacy in their mind to take over mm-hmm. their, to be, I, you said it much more eloquently than I'm going to repeat <laughs> it back, but that was, that was so real. And, um, I had, I, I actually myself had a lot of moments where I was like questioning myself about like, do
0: I not like white people? Cause you know, I legit, fine. it's a question to ask. It happens to me all the
2: time. I would find myself kind of making like come and like, also I don't necessarily like, it's not like I do it on purpose, but most of my friends are BIPOC people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Just cause it's just like the similarities. And so sometimes it, it just happens like that, you know? And I've, I, I've had moments where, you know, I, I'm like, Ooh, like, maybe I should just like ease up on being like, yo, that's that white shit over there. Like we're making white <laughs> jokes or things like that. Um, but I
0: also like had to have like a real combo with. Myself it's okay to life. punch up though. <laughs> it's okay to punch up
1: <laughs> oh my gosh I mean, <laughs> never cross up
0: <laughs> don't go down with cross so we can push up sorry
2: that, that's true but yeah like the solidarity and I think like to, to something similar that I really like that you said is just like we always have to look for those moments of solidarity and I think especially us BIPOC folks like so many of our groups have the same issues the same as a result of what yeah Yeah. And like, you know, if you go to protests, right, how like I was at the stop Asian hate rally and, you know, we had some Latinx and black speakers get up, too. And they were like, yeah, these particular issues that we that the Asian community faces, like we also face these things, too. And just in talking about all that, it's just like all it is 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 just white supremacy and us scrapping to see who's going to have the bottom spot on the totem pole. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know. Right. Well, and this that... is the... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say like this is the like diabolical beauty and elegance of white supremacy, right? And it's similar to like organized religion and things like that too, where it's they sow it so well, so diabolically that you can't you don't even see how you're still being trained by them because they've already backed off. They 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 planted those seeds and they backed off. And we we've just performed whatever it is that they've taught us. And it's it's like I keep saying it's diabolical. It It's diabolical because it is so easy for for them to be removed from it um, that By the time we realize, oh, wait, you're oppressed, too. And I'm fighting you and not the oppressor. By that time, we've done so much damage internally. It's hard for us to even work together. Like this is what I'm talking about, like these invisible borders or everything like that. It's they do the work so strongly that it takes you way too long to fix it, you know, to realize it before you can even start to fix it. Um, And so. I think it's taking every moment, like literally every time you see it, as, as pain in the ass as it is, and you got to be like, nope, stop. <laughs> think about this. This thing happens to me. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah, it's happened to you, too. Guess what? Guess what the common factor in is this? White supremacy. You know
2: what, though? Also, a lot of times when people are talking about this, there's also very... Um, I'm trying to think of a word for it but it's almost like exclusionary or like um aggressive kind of language that's like oh well i'm, I'm thinking of a particular person who said a particular thing that's <laughs> playing in my head right now but it's this means of saying hey white supremacy is the culprit but it'll be like yo y'all asians really bought into that model minority thing and it's like yes. that really like finger yes. pointing, and it's like so what are we what are we trying to accomplish here?
1: Because what you just did, you assisted white society. Like you literally did the master's job, and the master didn't even tell you what to do. You did it without That's being told what's so to, honey.
2: It's so diabolical. It's so diabolical. It's just in our heads, and yeah. you know, and 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 it's from a place of trauma as well, too. Because I'm sure they're saying that because they they have encountered and met and get a lot of comments from Asians who maybe really do, who do buy into this stuff yeah. or whatever it is, but there has to also be that understanding that, that that exists in every single group. And that's not an excuse, but it's like, how do we invite in as opposed to just let's alienate this entire group all at once? Because, you know, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: right. Mm-hmm. And like when you, with that specific example, you brought up, so like to me, that just reminds me so much about, again, the diabolical structure of privilege and how like, even in those tiers, there's still like systems of trauma where like, if if you've you know experienced or had a very specific Asian American experience, but you have the trauma of erasure, you have the trauma of being rendered invisible um, because of that colorist-based privilege uh, within the structures and the totem poles. Well, I should not say that. Checking myself for for better language hierarchies of um of racial privilege. You know, taking that. And attacking someone who is considered lesser than, someone who is darker, someone who is Black. Like, that's also, like, there are so many structures of trauma action and trauma-based responses. I'm just like, this is that's so a survival. frustrating. That's a
0: it survivalist really is. thing, it it too. Because you, if you even look at it in, in an animal form, too, right? Like, you you can see that if you provide food to one and not to others, that you're developing that kind of a structure amongst them. Um, I think that... that that is is something that we just we react we respond to so well because our survivalist um, that thing that's in our bodies that tells us to keep fighting to stay alive uh, come kicks in really hard there um, Do you all agree that like God this sucks um, like how hard this <laughs> how hard it is to like actively change yourself like I, I feel that that I wonder, I would love to see these moments like when I think of Yuri Kochiyama, like I, I there's early there's an early spot in the book where she where she describes herself as as American as they come. Right. Um, you know, apple pie, you know, the whole the whole thing, Sunday school teacher, whatever. And even as they're they're incarcerating them, there's still always this question in our head of like, well, th- there's got to be a reason for it. Because you believe that the world is just like and, and if you if the world is just, then this must mean we deserve this. Um, and so, like, even after going through that, like there's little doses of moments of radicalization. But it really, really wait. It, 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 it takes a while for it to manifest in her because she's got to undo so many years of believing the world is just, and I'm a Japanese American, and da 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 da, you know. Um, and I wonder too with Malcolm, also going from the 12 years that he was in the nation of in- Islam. How do you undo 12 years of that much indoctrination and some of it self-indoctrination, right? Like he's speaking back into the echo chamber. So to get to the point of actually sitting there and and of course this can a hundred percent be just a cinematic moment, but in um in Spike Lee's Malcolm X, there's a moment in for Malcolm when he is doing his pilgrimage where he's sitting alongside um, Muslims of all different colors and a white man hands him a cup to drink from and everybody's drinking from the same cup and it's, it's part of, you know, whatever. And um, Malcolm sits there for a second as he stares at the cup, knowing that it's coming to him from a white person. And then he reluctantly, it feels reluctant, him reaching for the cup to grab it to take the drink. And it's an acting moment, of course, for Denzel. But I I think it's what they were trying to tell is how difficult that must have been for someone who believes that every white person is a white devil is sitting across some, you know, a white devil who believes the same thing that he believes and is offering him a drink. And he's everything in his body is telling him, don't trust that water. But he reaches for it anyway. And I think there's probably something like that that really happened for him, you know, apart from from that being from the movie of this thing of like, how do I go from all these years of not trusting white people, 38 years of my life to turning around and being like, okay, let's try. Like, I, I guess I'm, I don't know what I'm asking there. I guess I'm asking like, you know, what is, <laughs> I don't know what I'm asking. I'm asking something about how difficult it is to make those changes. <laughs>
2: And I really think that those changes really are so gradual, you know, because I, 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 you know, I think as you grow and as you experience life, right, you garner enough different perspectives and different conversation and just different cultures and maybe you become more well-traveled or whatever it is. And you really just start to take in an understanding of Other people and why they might have this perception and and you, I guess, with maturity, learn how to react to certain things differently or I think it's just like a time thing. Right. Because, you know, when I was when I was like 17 um, and just really starting to get into um, trying to understand like activism and all these different things, like I had a much different outlook. I was probably a lot more raw. I mean, not to say that I'm not still kind of like that, but like, I definitely want to be, I focus on being accurate and punchy at the same time. Whereas before I was just like ready to just go, let me come out with this
0: defensive energy. That's part of the journey. (laughs) You got to start out with anger. (laughs) It's
1: all part of the journey. It's all part of the journey.
2: Yeah. And I think that like, when you go through those different stages, you also just, it's easy for you to also identify where people are in their stages too. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of look at people's responses, and if they're like immediately defensive when you challenge them on something, I'm like, oh, okay, so they're probably they're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and,
0: they're not it, ready.
2: But then it's easy to be like, oh, okay, so I don't have to, uh, like, not discredit them, but like right. when I see, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna like bring up people that I don't like, but when I see certain people like doing that, out in the world for other people to see I just am like okay I
0: know what that is um we had to switch from the sippy cup to the teacup just now
2: (laughs) I had to I was like
1: I'm not gonna say anything but I'm
0: I'm gonna say something um yeah no that's fair though yeah
1: it's so fair it's so fair and like it's also like It's so great that you say that because one thing that we are definitely having to learn on the fly as we go is having compassion for these people. Like so many, so many of these organizers who have harmed me or have harmed, you know, other femmes or other trans folks in in the work that we do. It's, It's like, you know, I still have to have radical compassion. Otherwise, I am functioning that's still in an imitation of whiteness that's still Mm. an imitation of what white miseducation has taught me which is not to Mm. have compassion for human beings regardless of their mistakes you know so i just love that you brought that up so i'm just i'm just affirming i'm just affirming With my teacup.
2: A <laughs> <laughs> with
0: a teacup. The title of our next podcast, Affirming Yes. With <laughs> I
2: love that. Well, I also think it's cool to see like as you read about people that you really admire, right? Like you can see where their life is marked by certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think what was a really cool thing and aided in Yudi's gradual, you know, change from being this colorblind Patriot to, um, a really a true revolutionary nationalist, I think. Um, It was, you know, she just got life experience. She met different kinds of folks. She got involved in different things. I mean, her children would go down and help register Black voters in Mississippi, like, in the summertime. And just, like, you know, like, her children became that way as well, too, just from that influence. And um, I think it's really cool to see that, like, as you continue to go on and have these experiences in life, and the more you expand and really try to see other views— you can too be this kind of person, you know, you can still speak up and you can still understand and you can, you build that empathy within yourself. And I think that that, that is the biggest thing that these two people in particular uh, represent to me that, you you know, you can always change. And there's always, my therapist says I shouldn't use this word, but there's always redemption.
0: <laughs> mm. um, Have they um, provided you with an alternative? I'm curious.
2: Um, it was more like, It's from thinking about redemption in the terms of like I've done something wrong that I need to be redeemed about Mm -hmm. versus like you can have you can just continue to learn and grow and know that it's all and know that it's all just part of the journey and what you're supposed to be on and that Mm. who you are is enough it's that sort of uh, kind of thinking yeah Um, but I still like that word a lot but you can still (laughs) have it Um, and I think it's really cool and I think she really saw like the justice system like really fail um because you know she also became close with ram's other like uh um like ideological mentor uh robert f williams and he became known if you don't know about the kissing case in north carolina you can look that up it was in monroe north carolina you can look that up um Uh, but basically, uh, he gained a lot of, you know, notoriety through his, um, defense against, uh, what had happened there. Um, but then he also, um, established like an all black NRA chapter. Um, and he really preached self-defense and he actually was instrumental in getting, um, the Ku Klux Klan, um, bands like their caravans banned um through uh the black community in monroe as well too which was awesome but he linked up with her and um you know i think through her connections with these people and seeing like the work that they did and how impactful they were and really like she elevated that and amplified those voices and those stories and i think that that also aids you know the more you learn the more you transform all right
0: yeah, actually, um, I think this is something and maybe this is a topic for the for us at another time is, um, you know, she did a lot of work for political prisoners specifically, which technically don't exist here in, in America because we don't do political prisoners. And yet here we go with a whole damn list oh, yeah. that we can name of a whole bunch of political prisoners Um that like what's 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 strange work for you know a person to get into if they didn't have you know if they didn't believe that there was like st- it's not strange work for a person that was incarcerated in the internment camps to eventually get to but it is strange work for someone who starts out as a colorblind patriot as as Asian self mentioned um, that she was in the beginning um, to go that far in your transformation from colorblind patriot to she's out there on these streets with these, you know, trying to free these political prisoners. Like that's a, that's a big trajectory for her to have gone through. And in really kind of in such a small time, a short time. And, um, yeah, be- between, you know, incarceration to, uh,
2: well, what I really liked about her is she, she was very open to understanding people, even if she disagreed with them. And I think that that's a big thing. Like she did very deal. well-rounded because she was willing to talk to people and see, and even, um, uh, Williams who I just brought up he was a he was about self-defense and like we we're going to meet violence with violence like we're not just gonna take this lying down and I think that 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 message particularly from Malcolm and the people he inspired as well too like Ram was directly inspired by his words and stuff um, people really turned that into just like let me just attack anybody and that's not what anybody was saying but it's a very convenient way to flip the messaging saying like you know like no one they were definitely against like outright attacking people like no one ever said that um, it was about, like I said, meeting violence with violence. Like if the Klan is going to be brutalizing us, we will brutalize back is what basically they were saying
0: um, to kind of quote off of that a little bit. So Malcolm has a quote uh, and I'm going to totally paraphrase it because I didn't write it down, but, it, 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 you know, he's got the reputation of being violent first but i think what's more accurate is he says something to the to the effect of if a dog is attacking you a two-legged dog or a four-legged dog do you let that dog continue to attack you or do you attack back and uh, so i think like when when especially when malcolm's being c- compared against um, um martin <laughs> you know you have full non-violence and and to the point of like potential real harm for you and then you got fighting back and i think that the reputation that malcolm had the unfair what i believe to be an unfair reputation that he had um before he left the nation of Islam, is that while he was talking about defense he was getting the he was getting Uh, people were framing it as if he's like we're we're just going to go out there and and start hitting him first and I don't think that was ever really his message now in private in a moment might he do that that's a different thing but in terms of the movement he was talking about two-legged dog or four-legged dog if that dog's biting you, you bite back. And I think maybe you already took a little bit longer to, to see that as a possible thing, but you, you also probably have to see a lot of violence too until you get there. Maybe, um, you know, and, and for me, I feel like it was always self-defense over mm-hmm. laying down, which was something that I think is why Malcolm meant a lot to me mm-hmm. growing up.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, when you are open and willing and you get the full scope rather than a paraphrase or a misinterpretation or a purposeful misinterpretation yeah. um, in t- with the intention of skewing a message, obviously you're going to be a lot more open. And I think that that really like can shift your opinion. That's what, exactly what we saw with UD. Yeah. Um, And through her continued relationships with people who were inspired by Malcolm's words, I actually do want to read this quote from um, Robert F. Williams. Um, It was from his book, Negroes with guns, um, where he clarified meeting violence with violence. Um, I do not advocate violence for its own sake or for the sake of reprisals against whites, nor am I against the passive resistance advocated by the Reverend Martin Luther King and others. My only difference with Dr. King is that I believe in flexibility the freedom struggle struggle. This means I believe in nonviolent tactics where feasible and where there is a breakdown of the law. The individual citizen has a right to protect his person, his family, his home, and his property. When an oppressed people show a willingness to defend themselves, the enemy who is a moral weakling and coward is more willing to grant concessions and work for a respectable compromise psychologically. Moreover, Racists consider themselves superior beings, and they are not willing to exchange their superior lives for our inferior ones. They are most vicious and violent when they can practice violence with impunity. And I think these kind of relationships and people who speak like that and can really articulate the full story and full scope of what they're saying, that's where transformation happens, you know, however fast or slow.
1: hey oh my life amazing um well in that case I would love to wrap up since we are a little over time but I just want to if there are any last thoughts from you two I'd love to hear them before we uh sign off
2: I just think the big theme of the conversation we had um goes back to you can always learn and transform and be in a different spot on your journey with all of this and approach it from a place of empathy and be open to understanding other people's points of views and be open to having those conversations. But with that also comes a a need to understand like, you know, where you are in your journey and to be honest with yourself. And if you are that person who. You know, if you are against something or, you know, don't believe that racism is a thing or don't believe in these things, but when you're presented with um, a counter argument or a point to that, are you instantly defensive and really have no no accuracy behind it or the facts or the truth and, um, you know, making sure you do the work on your own. That way you're not having moments where you feel shamed or feel like you're being excluded or feel like you're not invited or feel like, you know, like I can't talk about this because no one understands me. Well, Give you need to give yourself that knowledge and understanding first, and then you also need to treat people with that same sort of respect and be willing. If someone's, if you want to come to the conversation, come ready, but also come open.
1: Right. Mm. Sorry.
0: Um, yeah, to e- to echo that, um, being willing and able and able and open to to change and to growth. Like we should we should all know this without, but some of us don't pay attention to it as much. Uh, growth is uncomfortable and painful change is uncomfortable and painful from the time that we're physically growing our bodies we go through legit pain in doing that because change is difficult and it's violent in some cases um for opinions for beliefs for um values these types of things are uncomfortable when you're going through it but that is not a reason to stop you know we have to keep pushing through those moments. And if you're uncomfortable, it's probably because you're undoing something that makes you feel bad that you believed or you thought or, you know, and the work to get through it, to push through it is so important. Um, so yes, being open to change, being willing to, to listen, um, to not be the loudest voice in the room at all times is very important, but also embrace how difficult it is. Because it's it's a lot more. I don't know what the right word I want to say. Um, meaningful, impressive to come through something difficult. On the other side, changed versus quitting in the middle and just giving up. Um, So if it's uncomfortable, that's okay. Keep pushing through it. (laughs) It's probably a good sign that it's uncomfortable. (laughs) And and in moments of
2: solidarity and like trying to build that and understand other groups, especially when you don't always feel like your group is always heard or Mm -hmm. taken seriously or anything like that, that uncomfortability is gonna come through a lot and just lean on that, don't run away from it. facts. (laughs)
1: facts. <laughs> and on that note, this concludes this uh, amazing, incredible panel talk, soon to be a podcast, dropping May 19th on the joint birthdays of Yuriko Chiyama and Malcolm X. Uh, I will be having cake in the park, I believe.
2: Nice.
1: <laughs> I like it. I don't know. Are y'all celebrating?
2: Cake in
0: the park! Yeah. Yeah. Can we please good. just like...
1: I'll just like a video call all of you. Let's have cake and we just have actually. our little
0: cake and be like yeah. oh, happy birthday. <laughs> Yeah, I love <laughs> that. It's also really dope that these two people share a birthday, even if it is four years apart. Like doing the work that they did and sharing a birthday—that's dope.
2: I will say that I, I don't know about Malcolm, but I know Yudi really cherished that they had the same birthday. She, she took did. it as a sign. Yeah. She
0: was like a stand. She was a hardcore stand. She, yeah, she loved hearing you <laughs>
2: talk. She loved yes, all of that, and um, you know, uh, I'm really jealous because i i wish i could (laughs) i would have loved to like be like friends with him like that and like he wrote her letters while he was abroad and all this stuff and like said she had a beautiful family and all this stuff and i was like oh my god
0: i'm so jealous and we didn't even touch on the fact that she held his head at in his last moments of his life you know like she she. There were shots flying across the the room, and she ran up. She and, ran up and tried to cover him. And she held his head in her lap, and she kept saying, "Please, please stay alive. Please stay alive." So, like, she went to the end with it. Like, I mean, it wasn't her end, but she right put enough. her she put her body in front
2: yeah. to a degree.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, in um, yeah. towards the end, she she was there. So, um,
1: I'm yeah. glad you pointed yeah.
0: that out. That's you
1: yes. Know. Also, how like that part of history has been so actively erased Mm -hmm. like even though like I I can't remember there's so many photos I've seen where like there's that one photo originally of her holding him but I've seen Mm -hmm. her cropped out so many times I've seen it from the the angle where it's behind so you can't see her face yeah I'm just like yo reenactments
0: don't have her in it you know reenact like Spike Lee's movie didn't have her in it I was um, gonna say that's yeah it, yeah it didn't have her in it there um and I don't remember if Ali sh- I don't think Ali showed it either um, because they also reenact his his burger there as well um, but yeah I've never seen it reenacted accurately.
1: Things to work on in all communities. Things to
0: work on for (laughs) sure. Hashtag (laughs) things to work on. Uh
1: The list. (laughs) Um, And that being said, thank you, Evan, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you, Charmaine. Thank you, Soph. And we're signing off right now.
0: Militantly Mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed.